Our text today, if you have your Bible with you, is going to be found in the book of Isaiah back in the Old Testament. So uh, turn there if you would. Isaiah chapter 43, and we're going to begin in verse 10 in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10. Now, uh, three or four weeks ago, the young people asked my wife in Sunday school to either explain or help them understand the Trinity. You know, the light stuff. And so uh, she, she did, and, um, and then she came home and said, Jeff, why don't you explain the Trinity? And so it just, it just keeps going on and on, and, and um, uh, we, we did that on Sunday. Then on Wednesday, we were uh, looking at the Great Commission, and one of the things that I pointed out just in passing, at least that was my intention, was that uh, Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize converts in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I pointed out that that was just, uh, that was a, a reference back to, it, it was an allusion to the Trinity. I didn't know what I was getting into. Because then we, we, we went all afield and, and we spent the rest of the night talking about different things with the Trinity and stuff like that. And at the end of the night, I don't know that any, things were any clearer than when we started. Uh, but, but the Trinity is something that I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on in a church. And maybe, you, maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've, you've heard a lot of them. Uh, I, just, I just don't think I have specifically about the Trinity. And so my thought was, you know, it, this seems to be a, 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 point of, a point of interest. This seems to be something that we could all, myself included, use some, uh, some brushing up on, on our precision in our, in our language and stuff like that. And so what I was going to do was I was going to uh, preach a sermon that just gave a summary of what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. But as I thought and prayed about things, I thought, you know, thats I don't think that's the best way to go because I could give you a summary of what the Bible teaches. But we'd spend so much time uh, being precise that we wouldn't spend very much time in the Scriptures. And so the, the, the place that we always have to start whenever we start talking about God is, of course, the Bible. And so what I want to do the next few weeks is I want us to just look at, at little portions of Scripture that talk about the Trinity. Now they don't talk; they don't use the word Trinity. Uh, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. So if you talk to a Unitarian or something like that, they will point that out. That's that's true. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that the concept isn't there. And so what the Bible teaches is something that we're gonna we're gonna look at throughout the, the coming weeks. And my my goal is for you to see for yourself what the Bible teaches about God, about uh, Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit. And then kind of, kind of help us bring those teachings together into one. So uh, the, one of the bedrock truths of the faith, one that the Bible directly teaches is, there is one true God. There is one true God. Now that is a foundational truth, and that is one of the, uh, one of the pillars of the doctrine of the Trinity. And probably all of us here believes there's only one true God. If you didn't grow up in church, though, and we take that for granted, but if, if you didn't grow up in church, maybe that's kind of an unfamiliar idea to you. But I want to tell you that this, this belief that there's only one true God sets the Christian faith apart from many other faiths. And I want to throw this out there to you because uh, th- this, is, this is interactive preaching. This uh, past week, or maybe the week before, whenever somebody, especially in, not in church, starts a sentence with, you're a preacher, I know that something big is coming. And I was put on the spot. This, a, a custodian at the school 
I'm, I think I know how she found out I was a preacher, but I'm not 100% sure even of that. She said, you're a preacher. Do you believe once saved, always saved? And so then I got a chance to talk about salvation and, and things like that. I was, I was grateful for the opportunity. But sometimes we get put on the spot. And I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Can you, if you were put on the spot, like you are right now, can you give a scripture, besides the one we're going to look at today, that tells us there's only one true God? We take it for granted. We say, yeah, there's only one true God, of course. Okay, so, uh, and, and, and if, you, if you know the text, maybe, maybe you don't know the address. You don't know chapter and verse, but you, but you can kind of remember, uh, I believe what Scarlett's referring to is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and, and so on and so forth. Um, that, is, that is something that Jesus himself would have been saying as a Jew uh, twice a day, the Shema. Okay, so that is one of them. You get a bonus point. Do what? Okay, so the first commandment does say, don't have any other gods before me. It doesn't say there's only one. God's just making an exclusive claim. Well, but, but, but that doesn't exclude other gods. And, and I'm, I'm not... I mean, I, there is one God, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to... Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there, there are... The implication is there are other things that people worship, and they, they consider gods. Um, and, and that's why I said there's only one true God, because a lot of people have things that they worship as God. Part John 3.16, well, um, it, it does speak of, of God sending his, his son, uh, but it doesn't say there's only just one. This, this is, well, it says there's only son, but I'm an only son. It, that doesn't mean that there's only one God. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to push at is it's not as easy as we think, is it? Because this is a truth that we assume. This is something that, that we grew up with, and it's the truth, but it's, we may not know where to look in the Bible to show somebody point blank our God is the only true God. Now there are other gods that people worship but there's only one true God. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Isaiah 43 verses 10 to 13 this is not the only place that talks about there only being one God but we're going to look at this and, uh, and we're going to see what we can learn about the one true God that we have. Now it's important to understand what's happening in Isaiah 43 because what we jump into the middle of a conversation that God's having with the nations. It really starts back in chapter 41. We're not going to read uh, three chapters, but, but I want you just to have an idea, kind of an overview of what's happening. In chapter 41, God is contrasting himself with the idols that the nations worship. And he is showing how he is different from them. And, and he's far superior to them. And towards the end of the chapter, what he does is he says, you know what, if you, if you guys are really gods, and this is my Ozarkian paraphrase, he says, if you guys are really God, it's like you're on trial. Make a prediction. Make a prediction about what's going to happen. Make a prophecy. Tell us what's going to happen in the future. And, of course, an idol can't do that because it's dumb and mute, and it's, it's, it's just a piece of stone or wood, and, and God says that it's dumb and blind and, and deaf, and it can't do anything, and those who worship him end up being like that. And so what he says is, make a prediction. Tell us what's going to happen in the future. And, and the reason for that is because God, many times in Scripture, 
says this is what's going to happen and then lo and behold that's what happens and and so he says make it make a prophecy and of course they can't do that and even more than that he says and tell what happened in the past now probably all of us would say well that's easy enough right but he doesn't just say tell what happened in the past he says and tell why see there there's a key because sometimes we can recite facts of history but why did they happen? What was their purpose? And we know from Ephesians 1, 11 that the God works all things after the counsel of his will. So there's a reason for what happens. But then in chapter 42, he goes on and he talks about Israel. And he call, <coughs> excuse me, calls Israel his servant. He says, even though I have a purpose for you, even though I have given you the, the words of God, even though I have worked in your midst, even though I have led you out of Egypt and have done all these things, these wonderful things in your history, you're blind and deaf. You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. And, and we know that from, from the Bible, they forsook the Lord. And because of that, he let them be plundered and led captive many times. So then in chapter 43, where we pick up today, God calls on Israel, and, and again, it's like a court of law, and he says, you know what? You guys are my witness, Israel. Yeah, you were... You, you turn from me, nobody's as blind and deaf as you, but still yet you can testify about what I've done. Even though you, you have all this going against you, you can still tell about the things that I've done in your history. And so it's, it's here that we see the absolute uniqueness of God and some truths about this one God. So if you've uh, found Isaiah 43, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand to honor God's word. We're going to pick up in verse 10. And read down to verse 13. God says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Thank you. May be seated. Now, I just want to work our way through the text bit by bit, and I want you to look again at verse 10, and the first thing I want you to see is that there is only one true God. Now, if you, if you haven't picked up on my theme... If, if, you, if you're looking for a thesis for my sermon, this is it. There's only one true God. And it's found in verse 10 very explicitly. What does he say? And, and notice the power of his expression. Verse 10. He says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Now God could have said, Every other God besides me is false. Every other God besides me is something that man has created. It's the work of man's hands. They're false. I'm true. I'm the only one that's ever existed uh, independently of, of anyone and anything. I have life in and of myself. They don't. He could have said all that. But instead, he condenses all that down into these two phrases in verse 10. And he says, before me, there was no God formed, and after me, there will be no other. Now, now we like to think of ourselves as an independent man and woman, don't we? I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. There's nobody telling me what to do. I am independent. But listen, God is the only truly independent one. 
God doesn't need anyone or anything. And let me drop a, a truth bomb on you. He doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. God existed before I was born. He'll exist long after I'm dead. God is the only one who has life and existence in himself. Now, instead of saying all that stuff, he, he condenses it down into these two phrases. And first he says, before me, there was no God formed. In other words, there was never a God that existed before him. Now, I just want you to think, because earlier I said that the, the belief in one God, that's, that's a great big word, monotheism. Mono, being one, theism, talk, talks about belief in God. Belief in only one God. The belief that there's only one God sets us apart from many other religions. For instance, the Mormons. This verse takes the legs out from under that Mormon missionary that you see riding his bike, wearing the white shirt and the black tie, going door to door. Because what do the Mormons believe? The Latter-day Saints. They believe in a progression of gods. They believe that our God, the God of this universe, was once a man. And as God was, or as, as we are, God once was, and as God is, man can become. In other words, God used to be a man, but now he's exalted. He's God. And one of these days, if we're lucky, we can be a God too and have our own universe. That's what the Mormons believe. But what does this say? God says, I'm it. To put it in very improper English, there ain't nobody else. There's no God before me. There's not a progression of gods. I alone am him. I'm it. There's never been a God before our God. That's the end of the story. But not only was there never a God before him, look at the end of verse 10. There will be none after me. There will never be a God after him. He holds the title God indefinitely. God sits on heaven's throne. And he always will. He's not going to be deposed. He's not going to have a, a, a coup. He's not going to be voted out. He's not going to pass away and somebody take his throne, take his place. God will be on the throne forever because he's the only true God. And just in case we're not clear about it, I just want you to listen to a few verses and see if you pick up a pattern of this being the first and the last and the only true God. If, if you take notes, you might jot down Isaiah 41 and verse 4. He says, who's, he is kind of catching mid-sentence, but he says, Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first and with the last. I am he. Now that language should kind of sound familiar because we catch it later in the Bible too. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Now, I just want to stop right here for a second because your neighborhood Jehovah's Witness, that you, you turn off the lights when you see them not coming out up in your driveway. Has anybody ever done that? Turn off the lights, crawl around the floor so hopefully they don't know you're in the house. I don't do that. I'm, I'm anymore, I don't invite them in the house because it's always a wreck, but, but I'll go out and talk on the porch with them. I love it. God's bringing the mission field to us. Why are we getting on the floor? Go out and talk to them. But, but your neighbor, neighborhood Jehovah's Witness, they'll look at John 1.1 1, 1, and they'll say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word's with God and the Word was a God. And so they believe that Jesus was a God. He was a mighty God, but he's not the one true God. But what does God, Jehovah himself, say in Isaiah 44.6? 
I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Now, I like to mention this to the, to the folks. I'm not trying to beat them up. I just want to know what they think of it. Because if Jehovah says he's the only true God, and they say Jesus is a God, then you're left with one of two options. Either Jesus is one and the same with Jehovah, or he's a false God. Which is it? There's no other option. So Isaiah 44.6 says, there's no God besides me. Isaiah 48.12, listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called. I am he. I am the first I am also the last. Significantly, this, this language is picked up in the book of Revelation. That's probably where we are most familiar with it, right? Because in the book of Revelation, this is talking about Jesus. And here's the wording that's used. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Significant. So there's no God besides our God. And that's a direct refutation of what many false religions claim. They believe... Uh, Mormons believe that there's a progression of gods. What does the Bible say? Nope. Jehovah's Witnesses say uh, Jesus is a God, but not the one true God. What does the Bible say? Nope. Let's go on and on. We have, you know, there are the Hindus and the Wiccans and the Pantheists, and all these people say there's not one true God. And what does the Bible say? Yeah, there is. There is one true God. That's it. There's one. Now, there are a lot of false gods, but there's one true God. Now, I spent a lot of time here. Let's move on to verse 11. Verse 11 says that God alone is Savior. God alone is Savior. What does he say? I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Now, in the original context, this refers to the temporal salvation of the nation of Israel. In other words, time and time again, God would rescue his people from whatever calamity they were in. You remember back in Egypt, what did God do? He said, even though you all don't deserve it, even though you're not a mighty nation, I'm going to reach down, I'm going to pull you out of Egyptian bondage and give you a land flowing with milk and honey. He rescued them. He saved them. There's salvation there. And then he gets them to the promised land and, and they have to fight against the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and, and, and Amorites and the Moabites and the Mosquito Bites. I mean, the, all the ites. And he has to, they have to fight against all of them. What does God do? He delivers them time after time. And then what do they do? They, in the time of the judges, they would worship God. And then the judge would die. And then they go off in left field and start to sin again. And God would allow a nation to come in, take them over, take them captive, oppress them in some way. And they would live like that for years. And finally they would cry out to God. God would raise up a deliverer. And the judge would come and deliver them and rule for a while. Hallelujah, we're free. And they worship him for a while, the judge would die, and what happened? They do it all again. Time after time, God saved his people. He did it out of uh, the Babylonian captivity, just time and time again. Now clearly, we as 21st century Americans cannot say we are saved in the same way that 6th century B.C. Middle Eastern Jews were saved. Because we don't have nations coming in and taking over our nation and stuff like that. So there is a difference. But while we can't, cannot apply this directly to ourselves in the same way, having said that, the Bible says that we're no longer strangers to the promises and the covenants. The Bible says that we who are far off have been brought near. And while God saved those people temporally, he saves us eternally. He saves us spiritually. 
And that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What does Jesus say in John 14.6? I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life. Is that what He says? Nope. He says, I'm the way. There's no way to God except through, through Him. He's the only way of salvation. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's salvation found in no one else except for our God. He saves people today from, from sin and, and, and spiritual death and separation from God. Now we know that Israel often looked for other places for their salvation, for their deliverance. Sometimes they, they look to the nations around them. Sometimes they look to false gods like Baal and, and, and Moloch and, and, and the golden calf and, and all those things. And likewise, people today look for salvation in, in many of the wrong places. They look to good deeds. They'll look to, they'll say, well, I just hope I do enough good to get into heaven. They think if they just have enough money, that if they just get up high enough on the, on the corporate ladder, if, if, if they just go to church enough times or whatever it is, that God will let them in. They, they trust in false gods. They believe in Allah. They believe in Buddha and Krishna and all these different false gods. They may not even look for salvation at all, but, but the Bible says salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ and in by, by, by no other way than faith alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. Say, that's narrow. That's, that's not fair. It's, it's, an, it's an act of amazing grace that God offered anyway. And that's through Christ. Let's go on to verse 13. Very quickly. It tells us two more things about the one true God. Verse 13, Even from eternity I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the first thing this tells us is something that we've already touched on, so I'm not going to spend any time here, and that is that God is eternal. He's the first and the last. From eternity, God is God. There's not a time whenever He became God. He's always been God. There's never been a time when He didn't exist. There's a time when you didn't exist, but that's not the case with God. As far back into eternity as you could go, God is right there. Now, sometimes people, and especially kids, parents, your kids ever said to you, where did God come from? Who made God? Maybe you can remember asking that question. Maybe you, maybe you think it right now. Where did God come from? Who made him? Nobody. Nobody made God. He, he is the creator, not the created. God is eternal. He's always been. God, what does it say in verse 13? Even from eternity, I am He. And finally, the last part of verse 13, we see that God is sovereign. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? God does whatever He pleases, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop him. I can't do it. You can't do it. The nations may rage and, and plan together and plot together to overthrow God. It ain't going to happen. We can't even slow God down. God does whatever he pleases. Now these false gods that the people worship, they can't do anything to stop God. You remember Elijah was on the uh, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and what did he do? He said, all right, y'all want to worship Baal? Let's just have a little contest. We'll have the God of thunder and lightning. 
and we'll have the one true God of Israel. See which one is the true God by fire. So they put out, and you know all the all the story. They put out the the, the sacrifice and said, "All right, male guys, go ahead and do your thing." And so they they danced around. They cut themselves. They howled. They hooped and hollered. Said, "Oh, Baal, hear us!" And and all this stuff. And they did it for hours. And and Elijah, I, he was a he's kind of kind of snarky. Said, "Well, maybe maybe he's asleep. Guys, get a little louder." And and the Bible uses euphemisms for. Um, potty language, but he's like, maybe he's using the bathroom, maybe he's on a trip. Get get God's attention somehow. And finally after all, it's like, alright, and this is this is my again, very loose paraphrase. Alright guys, now the real God's gonna show off. He says, uh, put some water on there. And he says, put some more on there. And they keep put dumping water, more and more water, and finally the God of heaven consumes the, the sacrifice licks up the water, consumes the, the, the rock with fire. You think Baal could have done anything to stop him? Nope. He's a false god. He's just a piece of wood or stone. And, and the Bible just, it, it's kind of, again, the Bible just points out the, the stupidity of worshiping an idol. It says that, that, that a craftsman will take a log and he'll cut part of it and make it into an idol, cut the other part and throw it into the fire and warm himself with it. And then this part that he's that he's made, then he'll bow down and worship it. And, and he's got to pick it up to move it from one place to another. It can't see, it can't, he- it can't hear, it can't do anything. And yet these people worship it. They can't do anything to stop God. We can't either. God's in control. What does he say? There's none who can deliver out of my hand. I'm the one that calls the shots. We worship a mighty, wonderful God, and there's only one of him. There's only one true God. And, and again, that big word is monotheism. And sadly, in our natural state, our unredeemed state, we don't recognize him as such. The Bible says in, in Romans 1 that God has given everybody ample evidence that he's God. But the Bible also says that, that mankind suppresses that truth. And we do it different ways, religiously or, or with drugs or alcohol or, or whatever it is. But we all suppress the truth that we know. But God has, has made it to where nobody has an excuse. They can't say, well, I didn't know there was a God. God says, yeah, you, you do. Your problem isn't knowledge. It's a sin problem. We refuse to honor him as God. We won't submit ourselves to the law of God. We're in rebellion against him. But even after we're saved, sometimes we still ele- elevate other things and people to the place of God, don't we? In our own lives, we don't... I mean, we don't an idol in our house but sometimes we put something else in, in God's place and, and what do we do we, we begin to order our, our lives around those things you know come February there are a lot of people on Super Bowl Sunday all of a sudden have another God I've gone to Midland now haven't I You ever heard of the NCAA? Is anybody? I think there's something, something about going on right now, right? There's big, there's a big Final Four going on, and we can do it with anything. It can be a hobby, it can be a person, it can be a, a sport, it can be fishing and hunting, it can be our relaxation, and we say, well, those things are more important to me than God. Now we don't say it with our words, but we say it with our actions. And I want to tell you two things. First, 
That's foolish. And second, even though we may not always recognize him as such, God is still God. He's still the Lord. He's still the boss. He's still the one that calls the shots. He's still on the throne. The question is, do we recognize him as the Lord? Do you as a Christian order your life around God? Do you bow your knee to him? Do you seek to to live your life in a way that pleases him? And maybe today you're a Christian and you just need to take an inventory, an honest inventory, and say, these are my priorities. And if God's not at the top, there needs to be a reordering. Put him back in his rightful place. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Or maybe you're here and you've never bowed the knee to God. The Bible says that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you the truth. If you wait until you stand before him to bow the knee, it's too late. Because your eternal destiny is determined with what you do with God in this life. As someone has said, you'll either bow your knee to him as Savior or as Sovereign. He'll either be your Savior or you'll bow to him as Judge. The Bible says don't wait until that day. While it's still called today, the Bible says don't harden your heart. Because today is the day of salvation. The Bible says if you'll repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And if you've never done that, do that today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. As you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. My hope is, well, my hope is that you already believe that there's one true God, because that's that's the, the truth. There is only one true God. But I know that maybe you didn't come from a, a, a Christian background. Maybe you listened to some of these other, uh, some of these talking heads on TV or, or read the websites, whatever it is, and and think that, you know what, maybe there is another God. There's no true God besides the one that we worship. And maybe, again, you just need to do an inventory of your life. You just need to you just need to take an honest look and say, what is my priority? What do I What do I structure my life around? Is it my hobbies? Is it my job? Is it chasing after this or that? And again, maybe you're here and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus. Bible calls on people everywhere to repent. And that's my call to you today.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we worship and serve the one true God. And Lord, it's there's so there, there's so many pressures and voices around us that, that that say, well, there are other ways to heaven. That, that the, the Christian faith, the Christian God is that's one way, but then there are others. There are Bibles, or there are people that say that that the God of the Bible and, and Allah any of these other gods, they're all the same God, just different names, worship in different ways, and we know that's not the truth. We know that there's one true God, and it's you. You stand alone, unique, in the universe, as creator of all things. God, we ask you to help each of us today to recognize you as the Lord that you are. structure and shape our lives around you and your word and what you want us to do. God, if there's somebody here who's never bowed the knee to you, they've never repented of their sins, Lord, I ask that you would draw them to yourself today. We ask these things in Jesus' name.